It's time for Tim. The Tim Weisberg Show on 1420 WBSM and streaming live on WBSM.com and the WBSM app. Talk to Tim now at 508-996-0500 or send him a message through the WBSM app. And now, WBSM's big gun, Tim Weisberg. And good morning. Happy Monday to you. Welcome into the show. Hope that your morning and your week are starting off right. And uh, we will talk about all the stuff that happened over the weekend as well as what you can expect out of this week and we'll take your phone calls at 508-996-0500 we'll also take your app chat messages on the WBSM app as well and of course because it's Monday just like every Monday we'll be joined in the 11 o'clock hour by Jack Spillane columnist for New Bedford Light he has an interesting column this week uh, in which he spoke to a greater New Bedford Vogue Tech freshman who wouldn't have made it into the school if not for uh, a test lottery that the school had tried in advance of incorporating more of a lottery system into their admissions. They're going to have a a 50-50 lottery um, going forward, even though the, you know, the lawsuit and all that stuff is still on the table. But they had this, uh, this test lottery where they allowed in a student like this one who had some discipline problems, who had... Uh, D's and F's, and who is thriving, according to Jack's report, uh, in that Vogue Tech environment. So we will we will talk with him about that because there's a lot of intricacies to that that um, you know he can give us behind the scenes because uh, obviously this is one student, but it's one student who shows that the Vogue education is beneficial for someone in turning around a student like that. So we'll talk with Jack about that coming up, uh, as well as many other things in the 11 o'clock hour. I'm sure he is going to want to react to Council President Morad's appearance on the show on Friday, which you can as well. Uh, If you don't recall her comments, uh, she basically took exception with the way that things have been characterized, about the way that the council has been doing business this year, about the way that it's been portrayed by the mayor, the way that it's been portrayed by some of the hosts here at WBSM, the way it's been portrayed by the callers. And, you know, she kind of, I, it, it was a vent session, which I was fine with because I feel like these accusations have been lobbed, including some by me, for months now. And it was about time that we got her to, you know, kind of respond to, and I not say got her to, but gave her the, the time to. Uh, and the opportunity to res- respond to some of these these claims. And as, as she said, you know, the council is not the bad guy here. And, and I followed that up with, well, are you saying that there is a bad guy? And she said, no. She said, absolutely not, that this is just, this is how things are done. And she talked a lot about, too, see if I can find the exact, because uh, I have a, a transcription here. And she talked about how, you know, her and the mayor have been in conversations, that they have been having a weekly meeting, and that they, there was just an issue this past week where they were, she, she wanted to speak to them, speak to him, and he called her within a very short amount of time. So they, 
they do have a working relationship, although, as she said in her statement to us, she doesn't know if the tone of that letter, the veto letter, can continue that. But certainly the way that we are, you know, everybody's jumping on a way to characterize it. And she's saying, no, that that's not the case. And so we'll, we'll and she said, even to me in the discussion, you know, and you can ask the mayor about this when he comes on your show, and we will. When he comes on the show Wednesday, we'll ask him how that relationship is going. And, you know, he's, we'll ask him how he feels about some of her comments. So look forward for that on Wednesday. Also on Thursday morning, we're going to be joined by Dartmouth Police um, Public Information Officer uh, Detective Kyle Costa. He's going to be joining us Thursday morning because there's been some some controversy is late with the Dartmouth Police Facebook page. The Dartmouth Police have been an innovator in utilizing social media as a way to get the community to help with some of the aspects of police work. So when they are looking, you know, in, in the old days, if they were looking for a suspect, they would release that information to the media. You would go to our website, to get the description and maybe some surveillance photos. And then hopefully somebody saw it on our site and then reached out to the police if they saw something, if they had any information. And Dartmouth police were, at least in the area, on the forefront of utilizing their own social media to get the word out. And when I had my Saturday morning show, oh, this this was probably... When did I start that show? 2012? 2013? I don't remember what it was. But, you know, almost probably 10 years ago now, one of the early shows that I did was I had the Dartmouth police on to talk about how they were utilizing Facebook as a way to get the word out there. And, you know, they always come up with funny things to, to get people's attention and to get people to like it and share it and to have a bit of a a public face that shows that while they're serious about doing the work, they're just regular people like you and I. And so that was the approach that they've they've always taken and Detective Costa has taken as long as he's been maintaining that page. But it becomes kind of too easy. And, and, and news has changed. Let me just tell you that from the beginning. News has changed in the time since I even worked in the newsroom in 2017 to now. You know, now we look at a at a mugshot and we say, "Oh, I don't know if we want to put this out because people are just gonna, people are just gonna be making jokes about the mugshot and they're not gonna be paying attention to the story." And we even have changed the way that we cover some things. You know, we have more compassionate coverage. So if somebody gets pulled over for a DUI, you know, unless they're an elected official or something like that, we're not gonna, or unless they're somebody who has been a repeat offender and is a danger out there on the roads. We don't see a need to put them on blast. We don't see a need to put them out there and, and have this story stick around because, you know, in the old days of writing stories on the Internet, you thought, well, people are going to read it that day and then it goes away. And we've learned over time it doesn't go away. And when employers are doing a job search for somebody, you know, a, you know, a background search for somebody that's applying, these stories come up. And, you know, it could be a, a person leaving a party, had one too many drinks, got pulled over 
you know, went through the process of, uh, of losing their license and, and paying the penalty for that. And this is 10 years later now. And now they're an adult with a family. They're applying for a job and this DUI charge comes up in a story. So we've become a little bit more compassionate about the way that we handle things. And as part of that shift, some of the stuff that you see out there, you, you actually cringe a little bit at. And you say, well, hold on, hold on. And, you know, I keep, I keep an eye out for Dartmouth Police Post because it's important news that we need to share and, and stories that we need to write. But some of them, I look at them and I say, uh, you might be going a little bit too far here. And even if I think that they are only going, you know, they're, they're walking right on the line. The commenters have no problem going right over that line. And that happened this week. There were, or last week rather, there were a couple of cases that went up there, a couple of surveillance footage shots. One of them was about a person who had stolen something, allegedly stolen something. And again, I, and I have this conversation, um, you know, with police before about the, the use of the term allegedly when you have surveillance footage of it. When you're showing me on camera that somebody put this item in their jacket, walked out of the store and didn't pay for the item, I don't know what the allegedly is. I can see it with my own eyes. But the way that defamation works, if they haven't been convicted of the crime, you have to use the word allegedly. So this is something that is kind of, you know, rolled itself onto that page into the comment section because people are calling these people scumbags and criminals and all this stuff. It's like, well, but they, they haven't been convicted yet. You know, you can say alleged scumbag if you want, for sure. And then the other issue is that sometimes, you know, the, 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 the way that they poke jokes at the suspect as a way to get attention for the post can kind of step over the line as well. So this week there was a person who, I don't know if they were a trans person. I don't know if people were just making that assumption from how, how the person looked in the surveillance footage. Like, let's put it this way. We've all seen ourselves on the store camera when we walk in. It is not the best representation of ourselves. But I, I don't know. Some people might have known this person and, and known their background. But there were a lot of what I would call transphobic comments and a lot of disrespectful comments. You know, they can't, you know, saying things like, well, the police can't say if it's a man or a woman. They can only say that it's an it, you know, and things like that. And listen, no person is an it, no matter what. No person is an it. That's just, it's just a terrible, horrible, hateful thing to say. To call somebody something that is less than human. So this is, this is the commentary that was being made. And then somebody else stole something and was a larger person wearing purple. And so, you know, naturally it's all Barney the Dinosaur jokes. So great. Now not only are we going to be, you know, calling this person a criminal without them being convicted of it, now we're going to be making fat jokes too. So, and of course, there's the people in the comment section that say, well, you know, too bad. Toughen up. This is the real world. Okay. But it's also something that is avoidable. Or is it? 
So we're going to talk with the police and find out on, on Thursday when we talk with Detective Costa, when they put these posts out, and, and granted, as I said, they walk right close to the line, and that's, that's the way that they want to portray it, but why, when somebody puts something that others might perceive as, as hateful and negative, why aren't those comments addressed? Why aren't those comments taken down? We'll find out about that because the, the story behind it is actually pretty interesting when you, when you get into the meat and the potatoes of it. So uh, we will talk about that on Thursday. I'm going to take a break right now. When we come back, we can take your calls, 508-996-0500, or hit us up on App Chat on the WBSM app. We'd love to read your App Chat messages. We'll take a break and be back with more in just a few moments here on WBSM. Welcome back in. Great, great song from Ozzy Osbourne there, written by the one and only Lemmy. Um, but there's, uh, I play Mama, I'm Coming Home because, of course, homes and housing has been a big issue and it's been a big topic of discussion as of late with the uh, rent stabilization ballot question uh, passed by the New Bedford City Council and then vetoed by Mayor Mitchell. Well, Councilor at Large Shane Burgo, who is the person who um, proposed the ballot question, uh, he has put out a letter just moments ago in response to Mayor Mitchell's veto. And uh, it, it's it's about four paragraphs. I'm going to read it to you in its entirety because I feel it's important to give you this information. I'm sure Kate will have the entire letter in, in, in her news story about it, but I just want to read it to you to, to have you get an idea of where Councillor Burgo is coming from and his response to that veto and I have reached out to him to invite him on if he has time I know it's it's hard sometimes in the morning um, when people are working and doing other things to be able to join us but I offered uh, I extended an invite for him to join us sometime uh, in the 10 o'clock hour so here is Councillor Burgo's response to Mayor Mitchell's veto of the council's motion regarding a rent stabilization ballot question these are Councilor Burgo's words. Now is the time for listening and discussions, not for lectures on public policy and governance. It has been over two weeks since the ballot question regarding rent stabilization was passed. In that time, discussions around rising rents and our housing crisis in general have finally been given the heightened attention they deserve. Dialogue is good. Lectures benefit no one while, raising, while rising rents are a crisis level in our city. Ask the residents. It is surprising and disappointing that our mayor apparently hasn't received their messages as they continue to suffer through this housing crisis. Then, ask why, in his latest State of the City address, did the mayor omit any proposals for or solutions to housing affordability? There is no one solution to ending homelessness, nor is there one solution to guaranteeing affordable housing for everyone. New Bedford is changing daily. We do need to do our best to make sure that all New Bedford's residents share in the new city that is evolving around them. Rent stabilization alone will not solve our housing crisis. I have never claimed that and never will, but it can bring much needed relief to the severely cost-burdened families in our community. Specifically, many city residents that are at greater risk of being priced out of a city they've always called home and forced into homelessness. 
Contrary to what has been purported, rent control and rent stabilization have been on the minds of many throughout not only New Bedford, but the entire Commonwealth. Boston is leading the way with its own stabilization initiatives. We can discuss the differences between rent control and rent stabilization and sort out how to best rise above this challenge. We can engage all the stakeholders in seeking solutions best for everyone, solutions that support new housing development and ensure that housing is affordable. As we have seen in two short weeks, a ballot question inspires conversation. It focuses issues. It stimulates debate. For elected officials to go forward with proposals without first gauging the will of the citizens on such a unique concept and important issue would be irresponsible. This is not an issue that should be determined from the top down, but rather from the bottom up. I encourage the administration to meet with our many local nonprofit groups and even our monthly neighborhood community groups to understand and know that the people of New Bedford can no longer afford to be price gouged. We need a, to plan for sustainability. New Bedford is a quilt of many communities. Each of those quilted threads are being destroyed by rising rents. My colleagues and I will continue to facilitate the discussions surrounding this ballot question and look forward to working with the administration, developers, and everyone that will be impacted by a potential rent stabilization ordinance. And those are the words of Councilor-at-Large Shane Burgo in response to Mayor Mitchell's veto of the rent stabilization ballot question. And... Um, it just as a point of emphasis here, the, the mayor said with us last week that um, they will be releasing their comprehensive housing plan uh, very soon. And that will have what exactly the administration is planning to do about housing issues. So that's going to I would assume that that's probably going to come out either ahead of or in conjunction with the mayor state of the city address this year, which is set for, I believe, May 3rd. So. It'll, we'll definitely be hearing more about it sometime in the coming weeks. Uh, and we'll have an idea well ahead of the ballot question as to what the city's proposal is. So you might want to look at this. Obviously, as we know, the, the council will have the supermajority it needs to override the veto and put the question on the ballot. At least that's the way that it was when it was voted upon. I don't know if the public sentiment toward this question will change the way that people felt about it. I don't know if it'll change the way that some of the counselors will vote based on the way that the public has responded to this discussion. So, again, it's a non-binding ballot question. I don't know that you need to distance yourself from it if it's just gauging the will of the people. And as we talked about with Council President Morad on Friday, just because you... Just even if the city residents overwhelmingly voted in support of rent stabilization, the council might say, well, but we can't come up with a good plan for it. Or well, we've decided to push that back a little bit and see see what happens. Or, you know, it's it's a non-binding question. It does not force the council to do anything about it. Now, it's intended so that if there is public support for it, it will bolster them doing it and and it will show why they're doing it but um you know there, there's there's no guarantee that even the question um being approved would would mean that this would go into effect and when you've got the mayor is putting out its plan the the administration putting out its plan and then the council developing its own version of a plan you know, maybe there's some room for compromise in the middle, and we may, maybe we get to the point where we don't even need to have this ordinance in order to get the rents under control. So this is, this is all, you know, just part of the process. But the subtext here is, you know, I want to 
pull out a key, a few of those key lines. I mean, it starts off with, now is a time for listening and discussions, not for lectures on public policy and governance. And if you read the mayor's veto letter, which you can at WBSM.com in its entirety, if you read that, you will understand what Councillor Burgo was referring to there when Mayor Mitchell spent a good portion of that four-page letter telling the city council how, you know, it's their job to represent the people and make decisions for the people, not to leave every decision to the people or such important decisions to the people. And uh, the, Ed, you know, the Edmund Burke quote that, um, that Chris McCarthy keeps bringing up, like that's, that's pretty much like a, here, I'm trying to give you a civics 101 lesson. And, and certainly Council President Morad took, took exception to that. And it seems like Councilor Burgo has as well. So that's, that's one of the key lines there. Now is the time for listening and discussions, not for lectures on public policy and governance. Now, Mayor Mitchell's response to that would be, well, you, you, didn't, you didn't bring this up to us, Shane. You didn't bring this up to us before you proposed it as a question. So the time for discussion could have been before you made it a ballot question. So that's just, you know, one, one of the times in, the, in, the, in this response here where it talks about the way that the, the administration handled it. Um, but also, I do like, I mean, this, this, is, this is good dialogue. I know it's going to seem to a lot of people like this is the counselors being upset about the mayor's comments and now they're going to take a shot back at him and then he's going to do it back to them. That's not what this is. It's, at least it doesn't hit my ears that way. This hits my ears and my brain as the next step in the dialogue. It's unfortunate that di the dialogue is playing out in public rather than the administration and the council sitting down to talk about these things. But it, it still seems to me like this is part of the, the conversation here. This is not, I read this if I'm the mayor and this is, you know, my own take. I'm not saying that this is how he would, he would necessarily take it. But if I was the mayor and I was reading this, I would say, okay, we got all that stuff out of the way. All right. Now let's actually sit down and have this conversation. You know, I, I got my chance to take a shot at you guys for not uh, talking to the administration before you put these questions out there. You got your chance to respond back about the tone that I used. Okay, now we've gotten all that out of the way. Let's, let's just sit down and work it all out. Let's sit down and talk about a plan. Let's see if we can start having, at least in earnest, some conversations to try to ensure that people can stay in their homes. But we'll see. We'll see where it goes. I, I, if we get into a war of words where it's just, you know, statements back and forth, I, mean, I guess that's good for this business, right? It's good for talk radio because it'll give you all something to want to call in and talk about. But I, I think to get to real solutions now, it's kind of like, all right, all right, we, we got all the, the, for lack of a better term, petty things done. Let's get down to the, to the real work. So uh, I do think that um, Council Burgo makes a lot of great points in this letter. And, and I, I, I think out of anything, you know, that is the point that the question has made this more of a focal point. Before this ballot question, we weren't talking about rising rents the same way that we are now. Both for people who are um, for rent stabilization and people who are against it. We're getting more conversation about it than we ever have. So that at least is very good. Now, the mayor's letter 
said, well, part of that is you're spooking the developers and making it so that they don't want to come and be part of New Bedford because they're concerned about, well, what happens if I go and I invest money building this development and then I'm told I can only charge so much for rent? So there is work to be done to quell some of those fears to ensure that development can keep happening, but also I think work to be done to make sure that people aren't getting priced out of their homes. And I know that it's happening because I've heard it from people that have had it happen to them and they've called in or they've app chatted in. So it is happening. It's not a it's not a fake boogeyman out there that is, you know, driving this discussion. It's a real issue, a real problem. But also, how much of a problem is it? What is the percentage? As we've heard, there are a lot of good, you know, we've heard phone calls about a lot of good landlords in the city who are very cautious about when and if they have to raise rents. And are they more the majority? Are we worried more about these corporations and these individual owners? Are we worried more about these um, absentee landlords and out-of-town landlords than we are about the ones who live in town? There's, there's got to be nuances to this that you can reward people that are doing it right as much as you can also punish people that are doing it wrong. 508-996-0500 if you want to call in and chime in. And uh, if you want to um, respond to that, you can. If you want to read the letter in its entirety, I'm sure Kate will include it in her story uh, that she's working on. And you'll be able to see that at WBSM.com and on the app, I'm sure. It's also being posted uh, to the, to the um, city's social media, I would think so. Because it, it came from the council office. See, this is where... When they have their social media up and running, which I, I, I don't I don't mean to I don't mean to be judgmental about it. And I, I don't know all the ins and outs about it, but if you voted to do it like a couple of months ago, you, you should have it by now. I can show you how to make a Facebook page if you're not sure. But they can put this out there and they can have it out to you directly that way too. The same way I was talking about the police, you know, being able to uh, put that out there. And I'm being facetious. I know there's little, there's all kinds of little things with council city, uh, city council social media that would have to be handled. Like who's going to moderate it, you know, who's going to be the ones posting it, all those kind of things. I understand that, but you know, it's it's a it's an idea whose time has definitely come. Anyway, 508-996-0500 or hit us up on app chat on the WBSM app. We'll take a break and be back in a few moments. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. And 
And welcome back in. You can hear us talking on the AM radio on 1420. You can also hear us talking on FM at 99.5 and also digitally on the WBSM.com stream or on the WBSM app stream. And if you have not downloaded the WBSM app yet, what are you waiting for? It's got everything that you need, breaking news alerts, live traffic and weather, streaming all of our programming here on WBSM, catching all of our podcasts, uh, setting your alarm, contests, all kinds of great stuff, all available from the WBSM app, and it's all free thanks to our friends at South Coast Towing. So just go to your app store and download it, or you can go to WBSM.com, click on the Listen tab, and there are all the instructions there. And if you still can't figure it out, or if you're trying to access it on your Alexa device, your Google Home device, or any of those, you can't figure it out, just email me, Tim at WBSM.com, and I will be happy to walk you through the steps because it's super easy and it's super awesome to be able to have it with you. Uh, the great thing about the app is you tie it into all your devices and you can listen wherever you go uninterrupted. You can wake up in the morning with your alarm setting off. Uh, you're listening to Phil or me or whoever it is, depending on when you get up, but you're listening to WBSM as you're getting up. You walk out of the room, you go into the living room, and Alexa picks it all up. You go into the shower, your shower Alexa picks it all up. And you go to get in the car, your car dashboard picks it up. You go into the store, you can pop in your earbuds and your, your phone app picks it up. It's all seamlessly integrated and it's, uh, it's the future. But also, of course, we love the AM radio. That's why we talked with uh, Senator Ed Markey last week about wanting to have, well, the week before last, about wanting to make sure that we keep the AM radio in these new electric vehicles. Anyway, so uh, I just want to let you know that I, um, I was able to reach Counselor at Large, Shane Burgo. He's going to join us uh, at the ten, in the 10 o'clock hour at about 10.15. He's going to join us to talk about this letter that he has uh, released this morning in response to Mayor Mitchell's veto. So we will talk with him about that coming up at 10.15. And then in the 11 o'clock hour, we will have Jack Spillane of New Bedford Light here as we are turning on the light uh, as we do each and every Monday at 11. And we will talk more about this and some other issues in the city as well. But I would encourage you, speaking of the app and speaking of our podcasts, if you haven't already heard it, check out the podcast from Friday's discussion with Council President Morad and, and her reaction to the mayor, uh, the mayor's veto letter and the tone and the language that was used and the way that people are perceiving the division between the council and the administration. And as she said, the council is not the bad guy here. But she also said that there is no bad guy in this situation. So um, we'll, we'll be able to um, uh, we'll be able to talk more about that with Jack for sure, and more with you in the next hour as well. Also, this week, one of the things that we'll be talking about is we're on the verge of multiple school committee races across the South Coast, and. With all the things that are going on right now, you know, you've heard about the Parents' Bill of Rights. You've heard about all of the discussion about what's being taught in classrooms. Uh, if you missed the news, by the way, the Old Rochester School Committee voted to keep those questionable books in the library for at least the next three years. Because that's how often they can bring the question back up, I guess. So um, I've, I've actually reached out to the school committee member who made a proposal about whether or not to remove those books, not because they were in favor of removing them, but because they wanted to settle the matter. So um, uh, this this particular, Matthew Montero is his name, and he put out a, a question, uh, he put out a motion rather to um, to address these books, and so it was addressed, and now it's been decided that they will remain in the school libraries for the next three years. So that's just the update to the old Rochester situation, but there's questions about that happening in a lot of different school districts. And of course, uh, as this question becomes more and more 
uh, I mean, as uh, school committee races become more and more under the microscope, we want to make sure we bring you all the information that we can. So I know that on South Coast tonight, they're going to be talking with school committee, um, school committee uh, candidates for a couple of different towns. Uh, I believe Fairhaven and uh, Dartmouth. And also, I'm looking into possibly having, I, I want to wait till the candidates forum on Wednesday and for the Freetown Lakeville races. And the the school committee is the, I think, the only contested race in town. And I want to see how things go. And then I want to see if we can have Kayla Churchill come on and talk about some of the things that's been going on with her campaign. Because, um, you know, over the weekend, again, more of stuff of her mother posting in the Facebook group and attacking people. I mean, I I corrected the grammar on one of the signs and 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 her mother flipped out. You know, why is everybody attacking this? It was made by your 13-year-old son. Like, nobody's attacking it. I just made a grammatical correction. You can go out there and just take a take a marker and add the little apostrophe that it needs. That's all. I was just making a suggestion. But uh, anyway, 508-996-0500. You're next on WBSM. Good, good morning, Tim. How are you? I'm doing all right. Nice weather out there. Yeah, for you now. Know, this whole thing was right for now. You know, Shane Virgo and his stabilization, rent stabilization. Uh, I mean, why doesn't he do inflation stabilization, put it on a non-binding referendum on the, on the ballot? This is, you know, it, the rising rents and, and the economy is, this, it's, we're in a bad economy. So, uh, I mean, it sounds great, but that's, that's not the way to go about doing it. Well, I, think I disagree that, with him completely. And I think that can be part of the conversation. It, it, so what, what way should we do it then if it's not that way? Well, we should look at um, subsidies because there's uh, many who are taking advantage of subsidies, you know, like Section 8. And there are some of these companies that are, they know that the, mon- the government's going to give them money for the rent, so they, they give it the max, you know, where, so they can make more profit. So I think the government, too, is part of it's the government's doing, giving out Section 8. There are clearly people that need it, but there's a lot of people uh, who are exploiting it. And there's these uh, real estate companies that are exploiting it and therefore driving up the rent for other people who are trying uh, to get uh, uh, an apartment and they can't find it because it's out of their price range. Yeah, and I think that's certainly part of it, but I don't think that's the whole problem either. Just like I think that, you know, landlords who are doubling the rent aren't the whole problem either. I don't think that's as large of a portion as as uh, as, as we'd be led to believe. Right, well, if he's going to do that, then, like I said, do uh, stabilization of inflation. Uh, all of the city council do stabilization of utility rates, your groceries. I mean, it's it's just, uh has no teeth. Uh, non-binding going in there just to see, put their toe in the water to see what public opinion is. Uh, I mean, it's a waste of time. I really do. Right. Because either you stand on one side of the fence or not. Well, I have one more thing, Tim. Hmm? I don't know if you've heard, but I've been told that uh, Blue Harvest uh, Fisheries is going to be a big layoff over yep. there. Can Six, you use the department look into that? Six, well, New Bedford Light has the story. So 64, oh, right. 64 employees will be laid off. They're going to be closing the, uh, the processing uh, plant that they have over there. So they're going to be laying off 64 people, and they said that they're going to be working with uh, you know the the um, 
Department of Labor, and they're going to be working with Mass Hire to try to see if they can find, you know, transition these folks into other other positions. But they're what they're doing is they're just getting rid of the the, the processing and kind of outsourcing that. But they're going to be buying some more boats to be able to uh, expand their their ground fish fleet a little bit. Which leads me to my last point, and that is, you know, why aren't the uh, uh, the mayor and the city council working to make the city conducive for jobs and keeping the companies here? Uh, and helping struggling companies. So we have jobs to pay the rent, to pay our bills, you know, and help these small families survive. All right. I'm going to hold you there because I'm up against the break. You as well. I do have to take a break. Uh, When we come back, if we have a little time, we can take more of your calls, and we will certainly take more of your calls in the next hour as well. We'll also be joined by Councilor at Large Shane Burgo briefly to talk about his letter in response to Mayor Mitchell's vetoes. We'll be back in just a few moments. All right. We had a a beautiful day yesterday. We have a nice day starting off today. I'm sure you've been opening up the windows, and you've been letting in that nice spring air getting out all that musty old winter air that's in your home and you've uh, as you've opened it you realize oh this screen ripped over the winter oh this screen has a hole in it now i forgot that i put a hole in that screen back in the fall and just closed the window and said I'll worry about it more in the spring. Well, now it's time to worry about it. And now it's time to call Precision Window and Kitchen because they can take care of it. They can have your screens fixed. They can rescreen them for you. They'll come, they'll get them, they'll rescreen them, they'll bring them back, they'll put them in so that you don't have to run the risk of popping it back out again yourself. Uh, and if you've ever tried to actually rescreen a window yourself, you know it's not a simple process. So they can take care of all of that for you. They can also take some of those drafty windows that you realized over the winter were not fully insulated. They can replace those windows. They don't have to do every window in your house. They can just do one window, but they also can do every window in your house if you need them to. And of course, with the rain that will be coming in, you might realize too that you've got some spots there that need fixing and you've got some leaks happening they can take care of a fading roof as well they can do pretty much any job because they've been doing it for over 35 years check them out precisionwindowandkitchen.com to get a free quote again that's precisionwindowandkitchen.com make sure your home is ready for spring with the help of precision window and kitchen in new bedford all right